My first mission president was a former CEO of a company, and he was very polished and organized. And he always seemed to have an answer for any question that we could possibly ask. In fact, when we invited someone to be baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and they accepted that invitation and set a date with us for when they could be baptized, we were allowed to call the mission president, and he would either answer a question for us, any question on any topic, or sing us a song. And he never got a request to sing a song more than once because his answers to these questions were always just so good and on point and well-organized and well-thought-out and meaningful to us as missionaries, not to mention the perhaps lacking quality in his singing voice. On the other hand, my second mission president's catchphrase of sorts was, well, shoot, Elder, I don't know. He was a farmer from central Utah who always shot from the hip, who always talked first and made it made sense later. This mission president was quite a jarring change in my mission about one year through my two hour service. Uh, and he was a huge uh, shift in the way that I viewed missionary work, uh, even though we butted heads a little bit throughout that uh, second half of my mission. In my first interview with this mission president, I sat down in one of the classrooms in one of the meeting houses in the area that I was preaching the gospel in as a full-time missionary. And I sat across from this mission president and he just looked at me from across a desk and in some kind of awkward silence with his mouth kind of drooping down, uh, he said to me, Elder, what do you want to be? And after a pause, I said, well, uh, President, I want to be a good missionary. And he just looked at me in the silence. And so I decided to say something else. I said, I want to be an obedient missionary. And more silence followed. I said, I want to be a good district leader. I was a leader over a couple of other sets of missionaries at the time. And I want to help my fellow missionaries find people to baptize, uh, to find people to invite to become a member of the church. And the president just continued to look at me as if he continued to expect me to say more. And so in the awkwardness of that moment, I, I, I did say more. I said, uh, I want to be a faithful return missionary someday. Uh, I want to be a scriptorian of sorts, like my grandpa, uh, who just seems to know everything about the scriptures. President, I want to be a man of prayer. I want to be a good home teacher a program that has now changed to something called ministering in the church. I want to be a reader. I really want to read and find wisdom from the best books. 
I want to be a good student. I want to be a good husband and a loving father and an honest provider. President, I, I don't ever want to miss a day of personal or family scripture study or evening prayer or family night. I want to know God. I want to follow the Spirit. I want to receive personal revelations. There's this vision of a tree of life in the Book of Mormon that turns into this sprawling, expansive vision of the history of the world from really beginning to end. And Joseph Smith said once that anyone in the church can receive any of the revelations that he had, uh, which I presume extends to this vision of the tree of life. Maybe I could be a visionary man and see such a vision. Uh, President, I want to get into politics. I want to be a lawyer and a judge and maybe get into politics at the national level. I want to have my calling and election made sure to know that I am going to heaven, to the celestial kingdom, the highest degree of glory. I want to be caught up in the air to meet the Savior, Jesus Christ, at his second coming. After going on and on about some things quite generic, some things quite specific, there in that room with my mission president. The president just continued to stare at me with those big blue cowboy eyes. And he said, I knew exactly what you were going to say before you said it. I just needed you to hear it for yourself. Give us a prayer and tell the next missionary to come in. That is my first suggestion for you if you are thinking about this new year, 2024, and thinking about what you want to accomplish in the new year and what you want to be now and beyond. I gave a talk in my local congregation this Sunday about that very topic. The talk was about goals. And this first podcast episode is really an extension of and a review of the topic that I gave that talk on, the topic of setting and achieving goals through the lens of the words of Jesus Christ as found in the Gospels in the New Testament. This podcast is because in spite of all the opportunities that I have to say things about what I'm thinking about faith and religion and doctrine and history and literature and philosophy, I always find that I have so much more to say. Part of that is because I'm prideful. I'll be open about that. Why else would I start a podcast unless I thought that there's somebody out there who might want to listen to me bloviate about various topics uh, and discuss 
the thoughts that I have that I obviously think are of some value. Another purpose of this podcast is because over the past several years, I have been experiencing what I think I've started deciding to call a faith thingy. Not quite a faith journey, not quite a faith crisis, not quite a deconstruction of faith, though there are ways in which what I am experiencing fits all of those categories. But something that bothers me deeply about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, about Christianity, about theism, but that I also just can't stop thinking about and wrestling with and tooling out. And over the past year or so, I've had some new opportunities to discuss with others about these things. I've subbed for my congregation or wards uh, weekly or twice a week Sunday school class. And I find that the depth in which I have been studying the Bible over the last couple of years has just grown out of these opportunities to share what I'm thinking about and what I'm pondering with others. But as the name of the podcast suggests, I have so much more to say at the end of each of those experiences or opportunities. And I've written a blog a little bit about it. That blog has allowed me to discuss things in a way that's a little bit outside the scope of a church meeting where there are some limitations based on the audience and based on kind of the rules of the road of that genre of public speech. And this, I hope, will be an extension of that. And so uh, I would like to share with you today uh, the rest of the talk that I gave on Sunday and that I essentially started at the beginning of this episode. And in addition to going over what I spoke about, I want to discuss some of the things that I cut from the talk because a 14 minute talk in a sacred meeting in church is not enough time to cover all the things that I wanted to say. Now, I mentioned that my first suggestion for you, if you're gonna be setting goals this year, is to figure out what you want to be in a similar spirit to what my mission president put me through. My wife and I actually, at her suggestion a few years ago, did sort of a DIY version of this that I highly recommend if you're looking for a way to figure out your goals for the coming year. In that DIY version, we sat down at our kitchen table, which is where I'm recording this podcast from, coincidentally, each with a stack of sticky notes and a pen. And we set a 10 or 15 minute timer. And in that time, we wrote down on a sticky notes, one item per note, things that we want to be or do or have in life. At times we got stuck, there were awkward pauses, but we really tried to push ourselves to keep writing down things that we wanted to, to do or be or have. 
When we were done and the timer had gone off, we started organizing these. And this, uh, I think we went through a specific pattern for, but if you decide to do something like this, I encourage you to find your own ways to categorize them. You might categorize items by priority, by complexity, by uh, timeline, or by the kind of thing that you wrote down. Some of our notes were broad and generic, some were ultra specific, and some were practical and easily attainable, uh, but some were really ill-defined and some were very lofty. After sorting and categorizing them and prioritizing them, we were able to identify the things, the themes that mattered most to us, and we used that as a template. We figured out what the next steps were towards those goals that were most important to us, and we made those our goals for the coming year. Now, of course, that is just the first step in the process of bettering yourself. Uh, and the talk that I was asked to give is about goals and not just figuring out what they are, but accomplishing goals. It also happens to be the very last Sunday of a year in which I have dedicated a lot of time to studying the New Testament. So in preparation for this talk and this podcast episode, I went through the Gospels in the New Testament and tried to identify words of Jesus Christ that I think apply to this principle of goal setting and goal accomplishing. And I came up with a list, and those are what I want to share with you. Now, I was surprised to find that these scriptures were often along the lines of what I expected, but also often contradictory to what I expected, to what I already had formed opinions about when it comes to setting and achieving goals. They're also sometimes contradictory to each other, which honestly is not a surprise to me uh, as somebody who's been studying the Bible for about a year with new light trying not to bring with me all of my previous biases, including the bias of univocality, or the idea that all of the scriptures in the Bible, and even more broadly, the standard works of my church, are saying the same thing. So as you listen to these verses of scripture, try to identify what the individual invitation is and what its full force is before trying to harmonize it with what you already think or what you've heard from other sources or even with other verses of scripture in this episode. With that in mind, let me read you the first one. Matthew 13, 31 through 32. He put, put, he put forth before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it, has the greatest, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. This is a classic of 
goal setting. And it's echoed in a quite famous verse of scripture in the Book of Mormon as well. By small and simple things are great things brought to pass. And this is one of the verses of scripture that I don't think you will find surprising. Breaking things down to individual small steps can have the most tremendous impact on accomplishing large goals. But I want to call out a couple of things that I think you may not have noticed. Certainly I didn't notice them at first until I looked at this verse, these sets of verses, through a little bit of a different lens. First of all, the parable is not about setting goals or individual betterment. The parable about the parable here is about the kingdom of heaven. It's about a community. It's about a church, if you will. It's about a nation, a kingdom, a group. It is a collective experience, this experience of a mustard seed that grows into a tree. So when you're thinking of goals, um, you should think about their impact on something beyond you, your kingdom, so to speak. If you're a member of my church, you might think of the small individual actions that you can do to build the kingdom of Zion in your ward, stake, branch, district, mission, etc. I also think it's interesting, and on a related note, that the end result is that the tree is a place where birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. This is a home. It is small actions that make homes. And I think that applies when we think about the actions that transform into the kingdom of God. It is a kingdom of homes. It is a kingdom of shelter. It is a kingdom of oasis. It is a kingdom of refuge. And I think it applies to the actions we do in our homes, in our families, that lead to better homes and more safe homes and homes that can have an impact on the homes and families of others. Next, Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Again, you have heard it said that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more of this comes from the evil one. It is conventional New Year's wisdom that one should write out their goals or resolutions. 
And it is the wisdom of the internet that one should announce their goals to everybody online. It's also the wisdom of goal setting to make a commitment to your goals and find other people to keep you accountable to your goals. To swear by some reward you plan on giving yourself or swear by some accountability mechanism with another person that you will accomplish a particular resolution or goal. In fact, I would say that perhaps one definition of a goal or resolution is an oath, a vow, a swear that we make to ourselves that we're going to accomplish something. As somebody who's made lots of goals and resolutions that have not panned out, in which I have essentially broken my vow or oath to myself and to others, I'm somewhat comforted by the words of Jesus to say, hey, give up all of that. It's okay not to commit to a very specific thing. And it's okay not to vow or swear or make an oath or have a strong accountability mechanism. Instead, Jesus is asking us to simplify. Just say yes, yes, no, no to whatever we plan to do. Whatever someone is asking us to do, perchance. Perchance was a weird word for me to say there. But I think that there's a, a challenge here to uh, the conventional wisdom uh, for goal setting. And I think it's something worth pondering to not swear at all. In fact, I've read a study that I don't have the ability to cite the specifics of for you right now. Uh, but it found that people who share their goals with others actually have a lower chance of completing the goal. Because psychologically, we feel good when we share our goals with others. In fact, we kind of feel the same feelings we would feel having actually accomplished the goal. But then we felt it, and we don't really feel as much urgency to actually complete the goal because we've shared it, and we feel the good feeling of, of having it and sharing it and uh, ha have, having accomplished the goal. Next is Matthew 5, 26 through 34. And I think this is also a great challenge to the conventional wisdom of setting goals. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to the span of your life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? 
for it is the Gentiles who seek all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. That last part, I think, is especially critical. And critical as in important, but also critical as in critiquing the way that people think about goals or the way that people think about organizing their time or accomplishing great things. Do not worry about tomorrow, Jesus says. Forget the impulse and the societal pressure to worry about tomorrow or next week or the next year, to have a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. Instead, focus your attention on the worries and troubles of today. And I think that uh, bears true for the goals that I have succeeded at most successfully. If I think about the long game all the time, and I focus less of my attention on what's happening today and what I need to do to accomplish something today and make progress today, then I usually don't have as much success. And I think Jesus's invitation here to not worry about tomorrow, to pull yourself back and say, you know, that stuff that I'm anxious about, about tomorrow or about accomplishing my long-term goals, I can let those go and I can focus on the things that are necessary now. The verses that precede this important invitation not to worry about tomorrow, I find interesting in the context of the kinds of goals that people, including I, uh, often make around this time of year. He says, don't worry about uh, how you're growing or what you're wearing or what you're going to eat. As somebody who's made a lot of fitness goals in my life, most of which uh, have not been great successes, I think this is uh, an interesting challenge to let the physicality of your goals be taken care of. Maybe I'm inserting here too much, perhaps mostly by the Lord. The insert there is the mostly, because I'm not ready to give up on some of my uh, ideas on fitness goals that I'm responsible for. But to let most of what clothes you're fitting into or what you're eating or how you're growing, let most of those things be taken care of as a side effect of your work building the kingdom of God. And here, I don't think that invitation has to be exactly tied to a religious experience either, or your ministering assignment, or your calling in the church. But I think it has to do with the more important things that you're building 
focus on those and other aspects of your life can fall into place. Consider the lilies of the field. They're focusing on being flowers. And the other things, they just kind of happen. Speaking of focusing on things that maybe don't need our focus, uh, another verse of scripture, one that I didn't share in my talk on Sunday, uh, always cracks me up. And so I just have to share it here. And I think it does have something to say for us when we're setting goals. This is Mark 8, 14 through 21. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he, Jesus, cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. They said to one another, It is because we have no bread. And becoming aware of it, Jesus said unto them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? They said to him, 12 and seven and the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said unto him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? I'm pausing for a moment because I'm looking at my podcasting software. Hello, and welcome to part two of uh, the episode about goals. This is the podcast. I have so much more to say. And it's funny to me that the net podcast is named that. And I found out that I can only record 30 minutes in this particular podcast reporting uh, app. I chose it because it was easy. Uh, and I can record right from a browser. But it's funny to me that, sure enough, I have so much more to say than 30 minutes. So for this first episode, I'm just going to break it up into this, this second part. It also gives me the opportunity to recap for a moment. I just read to you Mark 8, 14 through 21. And this is kind of how I see this playing out. The disciples are with Jesus. They're on a boat, and Jesus is preaching to them. But the disciples forgot to bring any bread. They just have one loaf of bread. And Jesus, as part of his sermon, says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And the disciples, they're kind of whispering among themselves. They're like, oh, shoot, we forgot to bring bread. And he's probably mentioning yeast because we forgot to bring bread. And he knows that we forgot to bring bread. And he's calling us out. And Jesus overhears them. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? bread? <laughs> Did you not understand? Don't you know that I don't really need you to have lots of bread for these little sermons? I really just need you to listen. How many loaves of bread, how many baskets of scraps did you have left over when I fed 5,000 people with five loaves? 
and they're like five. And he says, uh, well, how many baskets of scraps did you have left over when I fed 7,000 people with seven loaves? Or no, 4,000 people with seven loaves. And they said seven, <laughs> we had seven left over. And he said, well, why are you worrying about bread, you deacons? You gotta stop focusing on these kinds of unimportant details. I think the the challenge for us as people who are setting goals, people who are trying to figure out how to become what we want to be, is to try not to think of the wrong things. And sometimes the wrong things are the things that we've always been told to think about or that we have the most natural urge to think about, uh, like bread. I know I think about bread quite often. Uh, and as human beings, we always feel like we need to prioritize where our next meal is going to come from. But <laughs> this exchange, I think, just calls out how misguided we can be. And I think that applies not only to our goal setting, but I think it applies to our study of the scriptures as well. One thing that I noticed a lot, and here I'm getting into some of my trouble with my church, is that we, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, see little aspects of scripture, and we have a tradition that those scriptures mean certain things. For example, uh, there's a scripture in the Old Testament that says, I will I will send many hunters, and I will send many fishers, and I will fish them and hunt them from the holes in the rocks. And we traditionally have viewed this as missionary scriptures. But if you reread that verse and you try really hard not to have your biases in place, it's not about missionary work. And you're missing the point of that chapter in the Bible if you just assume based on your dogma, on your doctrine, that it's talking about missionary work. Or that Ezekiel is talking about the Bible and the Book of Mormon when he talks about the stick of Judah and the stick of Ephraim. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking um, about those elements of scripture in the context of our faith tradition and what we have traditionally taught about it. But I think it's important to try to glean meaning from scripture from what they're actually saying and what they meant to their original audience, not what kind of five steps disconnected from the actual text we want them to mean, or we've been taught that they mean, because that conforms better to our overall doctrine. Next scripture, Luke 6, 35. Instead, love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. <coughs> lend, expecting nothing in return. Our goals are usually focused on the results that we want, the things that we want in return. And our good deeds are often focused on what we want in return. And of, of all of these things, lending, like giving somebody money, 
or loaning something out, we certainly expect something in return. The Savior is challenging us in this verse to do things a little higher. And higher in, honestly, a, a way that can really hurt yourself. Do good, expend your own energy, maybe even expend your own money in the service of others, expecting nothing in return. Applied to goals, I think this means that we should resolve to do good things without necessarily expecting great reward. Let me rephrase that. Instead of not necessarily expecting great reward, we should do great things absolutely not expecting reward at all. And when you ponder that, when you think about the things that you want to do or the things that you feel compelled to do, it might take some deeper contemplation, some, some deeper meditation to try to disconnect what you are going to do and what you feel called to do from the reward or even the good feeling of doing that thing. But I think that is what uh, Jesus is calling us to do. It's one that I think is worth pondering. And like I said, meditating, trying to disconnect from this kind of urge that we have to do things because we get something out of it. Another similar verse. This is Matthew 16, 25. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Often our goals and our resolutions are centered around finding ourselves. They're centered around understanding ourselves or bettering ourselves or becoming one with ourselves or even just the mantra, be yourself. But what the Savior is asking us here to do is to lose your life. And only then will you find it. Now, as I mentioned, I think we should let that message sink in completely before trying to harmonize it or connect it to something totally disconnected from it. So you might pause the podcast now because I want to try to connect it to something else. In the last scripture that we read, in a different gospel written by a different author, Luke says, try to do good and lend expecting nothing in return. I think a way to level up your interpretation and your application of Matthew 16, 25 is to isolate, lose their life from, find it. And I, in fact, don't know if you can truly lose your life if you really expect the very next step to be finding it. I think you need to step into being lost completely and utterly, and only then will you find it. 
and there likely will not be in truly losing your life an expectation that you're holding on to that you'll find it that's very hard and i think it's worth pondering as well this next verse of scripture i think is also related uh this is one that i read early in my study of the bible or the new testament this year and it just kept coming back to me in fact when i gave my talk on sunday this is the verse that i ended with because it um well well i actually didn't plan on using it it was one of my darlings that i cut because i didn't think i had enough time and then i ended up having time for it and i added it to the end uh this is matthew 19 20 through 22. the young man said to him i have kept all these what do i still lack jesus said to him if you wish to be perfect go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me when the young man heard this word he went away grieving for he had many possessions in my church building uh we go through the one of the doors i wish i could tell you what cardinal direction it is but i am directionless um anyway the door that we go through just before we walk into the chapel there's a painting that depicts this scene and this scene is not one that we talk about a lot and having like a man talking with jesus isn't super recognizable but if you have this verse of scripture on your mind and you walk through this door on your way to sacrament meeting every every sunday then uh it starts to, to come together that that's what you're seeing and in fact if you squint at the bottom of the picture you'll see that it says the rich man and jesus or the or jesus and the young rich man and i don't think it's coincidence that that painting is right at the entrance to the chapel where we enter each week to take a little cup full of water and eat a little piece of bread that represents our covenant to always remember him, the Lord Jesus Christ, and keep his commandments so that his spirit can be with us. Because that commitment that we make when we take the sacrament, uh, the Eucharist of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is a commitment, I think, to do just this. And by this, I don't necessarily mean to sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor. But I do mean a commitment with that weight. And in fact, I think, and I said this in my talk, that if you read this verse and you think to yourself, well, surely it doesn't mean that I should give up all my wealth, then it probably means that you should give up all your wealth. But if you think to yourself, oh, giving up wealth, that's no big to me. I don't have much anyway. Or um, if you say to yourself, yeah, I'd, I'd love to give up everything, then maybe this isn't the weighty commitment for you. But if the commitment, the call of that bread and water to you leaves you going away grieving, because of all the things 
that you are sacrificing. Specifically, the sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Then I think you've struck the right weight of the commitment that you're making. And when we think about goals, when we think about resolutions, what we resolve to do, I think that's perhaps the strongest of resolutions that we can make. Next is Luke 12, 35 through 36. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. When you think about setting your goals, uh, you might think of incremental progress. You might think of the mustard seed nugget at the beginning of your goal. But I, I also hope that you think a little bit about the kind of readiness for action that this verse, these couple of verses invites you to, to be dressed for action. And maybe that means that you don't fill all of your time with goals, with actions that you plan to take, that you don't schedule every minute of your day with things that you plan to do or accomplish this year. But instead, you make sure that you're ready for when the call comes, when someone is in need, or when there is some great thing that you're called to do, that you're ready to do so. Have your lamps lit. Be like those waiting for their master to return so that you can open the door as soon as he comes and knocks. I think this verse has a similar vibe as well. John 3, 7 through 8. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This reminds me of that mission president that I talked about at the beginning of uh, this talk or this podcast episode. The whole shoot from the hip attitude. We never knew where that mission president was coming from or where he was going with what he was saying. He, I don't think, knew either. But so it is with those who are born of the Spirit. And this is what the Jesus of John is inviting us to, to listen to the promptings of the Spirit, the wind, as he described it, uh, that goes wherever it chooses, and that causes us to be the kinds of people who, to use a cliche, who go with the flow of things. Um, and I think this is also a challenge to the goals and resolutions that we make. We often make them perhaps with too much rigor, uh, with too much rigidity and not enough flexibility to do that kind of going with the flow. Uh, this year, 
Uh, some of my goals are, I think, quite rigid. They're smart goals, if you've ever heard of that. But I try to set some of my goals to be more thematic so that I can have the theme in mind and the wind can take me where within that theme it listeth. Next, and I think finally, is Mark 10, 37 through 40. This is another set of verses that has been ringing in my ears throughout the, uh, the year, throughout the last year. And they said to him, this is James and John, I believe. And they said to him, appoint us to sit one on your right hand and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said unto them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to appoint, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. As I read this now, I think this really does encapsulate some of the themes that we've talked about uh, today. Uh, first of all, I notice these images of the cup that Jesus drinks and the baptism that he's baptized with. Uh, and I, I think of the cup of the sacrament, the, the cup that he would take in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross at Calvary, and the, the level of commitment that that was, the kind of commitment that that was. Uh, and he's really saying, are you able to bear the cup that I am going to bear? And then uh, his baptism. You know, there's the baptism of John, the baptism of Christ, the baptism that he is baptized with, or the commandment that he was given at his baptism, his purpose, his calling, is just at a different, higher level. And I, I actually think this kind of baptism culminates in his ultimate sacrifice. And he's saying to his disciples, look, are you sure that you're able to do this? And they reply, we are able. And I think Jesus, in spite of what he knows about these two men, uh, is able to work with that. But I think it's also interesting that he says, look, you will drink uh, the cup that I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. I think he's saying you will be persecuted. You may even be a martyr like I will be a martyr. But the reward, the result, is not guaranteed. I can't say, because it is not mine to appoint, that you will sit on my right hand or my left hand in my glory. You have to drink the cup without that guarantee. 
you have to take the baptism without that guarantee. You have to come and follow me without a guaranteed result. They told me in my talk to incorporate a, uh, a talk given by uh, President Thomas S. Monson in General Conference uh, several years ago. This was a talk given in a Relief Society meeting. Uh, and I think I'll, I'll end the podcast with this quote, uh, which was the only snippet that I actually incorporated in the talk. Uh, and it's this, my dear sisters, maybe we could include brothers too. Do not pray for tasks equal to your abilities, but pray for abilities equal to your tasks. Then the performance of your tasks will be no miracle, but you will be the miracle. I think that that can be true. I think that the challenge of these verses that I've shared makes that a difficult thing. But I think it can be true. And I hope that you enjoyed this first two-part episode of the podcast. Uh, I do have so much more to say. And I hope that you let me say it, that you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, please let me know. I imagine that most people who listen to this will be people that I, I know, at least at first. So let me know what you thought. Let me know if you disagree with anything I said. Let me know if you have extra thoughts. Or let me know if you ponder something that I've said and you've, you've, you've found something that you think is worth sharing. Uh, I will continue. You'll see me again. Thanks. And uh, go say your own things. <laughs>